Dude, I always feel like that's how I sound when we start the. I'm you like, I, I found like, I, I think I sound like like one of those whistles from the carnival. It's like, <laughs> hello, everybody. <laughs> it's good. It's sound songy. It's song, sing song, <laughs> sing sound songy, sound sing songy, sing songy. Yeah, you guys, I love it that you're here with us on the hill for the word. For the word, I am Scott Powell, also known as Lanky Gun One. Number one. No, am I number one? Dude, you're number one in my book. Wow, you're number one in my book. Hey, thanks, dude. I'm Lanky Guy number one, too. <laughs> I'm Lanky Guy 1.2. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Because that's the spirit of modern competition. Dude, it's really nice to see you. You're it's down, nice you're down you. from the Waitiwa? Down from the mountain for the day. Dude. We have a bunch of kids on a bunch of mountaineering trips all over the Front Range, climbing a bunch of big mountains, which is awesome. Man, are they like 13ers, 12ers, 14ers? Mainly 13ers. And you know, so the big thing in Colorado is climbing the 14ers, which are great. The mountain's over 14,000 feet. But I actually like climbing the 13ers because a lot of the 13ers are actually more challenging than the 14ers, and they don't have the big crowds. Oh. Which is actually really cool. So there's a, there's a my favorite mountain in the state to climb, my, the funnest mountain that I've climbed the most times is actually a 13er, 13-4, South Arapaho Peak, which is a fun peak to climb. Dude. Anyway, so we got some kids up there. Annie, my wife, is leading one of the trips. So it's cool. So camp is quiet. So I came down today. To... Dude, that, so we got people in camp. Oh, we got another one of our staff who's walking the Camino right now. That's right. We got other people who are like preparing to go to Maui. Living the, who's Oh, Matt. <laughs> Matt's going to Maui. Matt's going That's to Maui. Awesome. I was like, dude, why are you going to Maui? And he's like, because we went on our honeymoon there. And we Why would to... you ever ask somebody, why are you going to Maui? <laughs> Why would you go to Maui? Dude, it's just, dude, I don't I even... forgot. You vacationed in Buffalo. I forgot your preferences uh, dude, are different. Did, did you just stab me in my heart? No, you said it on a podcast many weeks ago. Remember when we do it live from Buffalo? Oh, that's you right. You said, I'm on vacation in Buffalo. But dude, this is the thing, is that, is that where I am doesn't matter, but who I'm with does. Amen to that. And so if I don't have a wife. Which is good because That's good. I, I'm a Everyone Roman Catholic know priest. <laughs> you know, like I, I promised that. Just to reiterate. And uh, but this is the thing is that I uh, and and so when I travel, it's about who I'm with. Totally. And, no, and I, like, I'm with you there. But and none of my friends seem to want to go to Maui because they really? have families and they like ha- would have to pay to go to Maui. I would go to Maui. I w- would you go to Maui? No, I'm not going to pay for it. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I want to go to Maui. Yeah, but you'd have to bring your whole family. I would hang out. I would vacation with you and your family. We have fun. Yeah. We try to go to San Diego every year. Which Dude, is really fun. We have friends down there, and which is the beach cool. is great, man. Which is cool because San Diego is not expensive to fly to. It's not, Denver. not from Denver. Nope. <laughs> there's, and there's our plug for Southwest Airlines. Hey, direct flights every day from Denver to San Diego. Yeah, you can go and ride a scooter. Speaking <laughs> of speaking of mountains, yes. Um, I love the segues that you do. <laughs> is that a real one? Is there actually a mountain involved? Yeah, yeah. I stayed on the mountain. Oh yeah. The first reading. As at first, the time at first time forty days and forty nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also. What are you reading? Um, Deuteronomy ten ten. Oh, see, why are you why are you reading that? Uh-oh. That's a great passage, but that's not what we're talking about. Hold today. on, hold on. What's the passage for the first reading? Chapter thirty, verse ten. Man, I was like trying to make some connections on the <laughs> absolute wrong chapter. That's all right. This is the first time this has happened to me, man. Oh, is I was it? I was looking at the number ten, and then I just it's got ten twice. Dude, well, I'm excited then because there's because we're if, flying by the seat of our pants then. Ooh, doggy. Ooh. Well, let's tell our listeners the readings we're going to be talking about today are Deuteronomy chapter 30, 30, that is, just so you know, <laughs> 30 Deut- verse 10, <laughs> verse 10 through 14. We're going to be talking about Psalm 69 with a whole heap of different verses that we're going to jump around through. 
Uh, we're talking about the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. So the beginning of Colossians, the pre- the prologue. Prologue. And then finally, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, which is one of the most famous parables which, in the Gospels. Yeah, which everybody knows. Everybody knows it. But, uh, but do you know it? But do you know do it? You yada it? Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm like Halim. Halim. What does Alim mean? Haba. Olim. 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 Not Alim. Ha- Alim. Olim. Olim. <laughs> Dude, that's why I never get very good grades in Hebrew. Did you take Hebrew? Yeah, I did. All right. Okay. Should we jump in? Well, you... No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, Dude, this, I don't know how the water is. Is it good? What is chapter 10 talking about? <laughs> like like going up for 40 days on the mountain and receiving the law the second time. Well, you know, this isn't too far off. I mean, you're not too far off from what we're doing. And you know the pa- you know the section that we're talking about today. So chapter 10 that you looked at, this is... So Deuteronomy, the whole book of Deuteronomy is in a lot of ways, a recap of the entirety of the law. So later on, when the Jewish people in the New Testament talks about the law, quote unquote, they're by and large talking about the book of Deuteronomy that held that title. Even though there are laws in Leviticus, there are laws in Numbers, there's laws in Exodus, yeah. the law, they're all sort of re-articulated and encapsulated in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomos, which means the second law. Or, yeah, the second law, or plan B, <laughs> which is interesting. I mean, I actually teach about that. Because remember, what? So, so this is the thing that gets people all freaked out, right? You look at the Old Testament, there's all these crazy laws that are being asked to people, and they have to eat certain foods and wash their hands a certain way and not, you know, flows of blood and where, where you can enter and how you cut up your calf. You know, all this, these weird things that we don't understand what this has to do with anything, right? Yeah. But if Deuteronomos means literally the second law, what was the first law? Because um, there was a first. Okay, here's my – okay, I'm stabbing in the dark here. And do I'm, it, man. I'm kind of excited about my answer. Do it. It is the law of nature. Oh, Father. <laughs> That's true. Not, well, okay, I said so, true. That's true. That's true. Okay, so this but, is the but, thing. Okay, is I'm no, so Romanized in no, my no, mind. No, no, I think you're right because I, I, yes, I think that's absolutely true. But for the formal Jewish mindset. Yes. So there is the informal, well, it, it is, I mean, God does write the laws into nature. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. But there is a formal articulated given law. Okay. And there's the first one, there's the second one. So what's the first formal articulated law that shows up in the Old Testament? Mount Sinai. Yeah, what, what do we call them? The Ten Commandments, right? So think about this. I mean, think about the whole pedagogy of the Old Testament. You have this group called Israel. They're released from slavery in Egypt. They're called God's firstborn son. Remember what a firstborn son functioned as in the ancient world? Priest. Yeah, they're the priests. So their, their job is to go out to the rest of the brothers and sister nations and sort of bring them back. So God sends Moses out to Sinai, and they get the Ten Commandments. And if you think about the Ten Commandments, they're not too complicated. They're simple. They're intuitive. You probably could have figured out most of them on your own if God had not given you a tablet, well, right? Well, here, here's my question, though, because I was reading chapter 10, and, oh, right. and it was the second time the Lord had to write them down because Moses got totally honked when they were <laughs> they, they were <laughs> riled up in revelry, and he smashed the first Ten Commandments. Riled up in revelry? <laughs> is that that the euphemism we're going to use? Yeah, they were having they were having um they were um the sounds were neither of victory nor defeat. Let's just this let's is, leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> the cries were neither victory mm, nor defeat. You can use your imagination for what Israel was doing while they were worshiping the calf. Yeah, so he gets honked off as you said and he throws down the tablets he breaks them so he has to go get them again but that first time so he gets to the lot they're 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 simple they're intuitive actually there's this great passage so this is fun. It, they don't show up until, you know, halfway through the book of Exodus. You don't have the Ten Commandments. There's this great story. Remember in the, the story of Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Coat? 
Yeah. Know. Well, there's actually not a technical dream coat. No, but yeah. I don't want to talk about that. I won't burst. I'll burst another bubble. Not that one. <laughs> I like that one. But we'll yes, I, I know about day. Joseph, the dreamer of dreams. So remember, he's taken off into Egypt. He's sold off by his brothers. He's taken into Egypt. He has these dreams and he's put in, in uh, the household of Potiphar. Remember, who's a high official in Egypt? Yes. Remember that story? And Potiphar's wife tries to, you know, wah, wah. He, he tries he, to make the moves on him. Yeah, yeah. She and was, do you remember what his response laid the Mac is? Down. She laid the Mac down. And he, what does he say in response? Do you remember? I think this is super profound. I don't remember his response. I mean, I remember. I actually remember the cartoon of Joseph, King of <laughs> Dreams, and he's like washing the ground, and she puts the moves, and he's. But I don't remember his words. It's it's really pro- so he runs away for one thing. Remember, and then she grabs his garment, and she says, "Look, he tried to seduce me. I've got his garment." So that whole thing. Yeah. But before he runs away, he says, "I cannot do this." I don't remember exactly what he says, but he basically says it would be a sin against God to sleep with another man's wife. Now, that's interesting because what has not been given yet at that point in the story? The law. The Ten Commandments. There's no commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery, right? But yet Joseph understands before there's a law that says thou shalt not commit adultery, that it would be a sin against God to commit adultery. Which, isn't that interesting? It just kind of tells you something about the nature of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't just, and it tells you something about the nature of God and, and of Scripture. It's not that human beings are just these idiots who just need to be told, no, don't kill each other. That's a bad thing. It's not a question of, of knowing right and wrong. We know what is right and wrong. It's built into us, right? Yeah. We know not to kill. We know not to commit adultery. Joseph understands that without tablets. But it, it's being articulated in a certain way. So that tells us that the first law is simple. It's intuitive. It's it's natural. Yeah. But they break it, right? And then he goes down the mountain, and there's the sounds of neither victory or defeat. Dude, this is the thing. is that what My reflection on, on uh, Genesis 10.10, because they formulate the ark to be able to put the commandments oh, yeah, right. in there. Okay, just let's just think about what are they doing? They're nomadic people, yeah, and they're taking big well, slabs of stone. Okay, I mean Go they're on. they're traveling people in the wilderness. They're traveling at the moment. Yes, I mean at this moment in their life, they're nomadic. They're they're they actually have to travel in preparation to go into the. They're yeah. they're not stabilized. Not yet. They don't have a stabilized city. Right. Right. And yeah. Okay. Yes. So so yes. that's what I mean. I mean ultimately the only reason I'm, I'm questioning that, and you're 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 right, but they um. It is clear in the text they were never meant to wander for 40 years. No, they right? were only meant for so 40 So not that you're saying that, but 40, yeah. 40 days or so. I mean, it doesn't take very long to get to Egypt, from Egypt to the promised land. No, but then you think about, dude, I, I walked the Camino. My friend's on the Camino. Megan's mm-hmm. on the Camino. Dude, you want about a, about a 10-pound bag. because you're That's wa- a light bag. It's a light bag because you're walking for so long. Wow. And it's and and like as as they say, you know, I mean, ounces in the morning turn yeah. to pounds in the evening. Totally. And so, dude, just imagine having these like massive sl- stone slabs <laughs> that you have to carry around with you. It's it's a physical indication of what this law is. I know backpackers that for training will literally fill their backpacks with stones and go on long hikes just to kind of train themselves. Yeah, backpackers. I know that they, <laughs> they are often um, they're training with stuff that is. <laughs> <laughs> they've got guts they've got guts you know, <laughs> they they're tough yeah so israel they're, they're carrying around these stones they're nomadic yeah well and what which is so funny because you compared to the, this whole notion of the of the intensity and the weight of the law and then you compare it to what we're looking oh. about here and it says um uh, who will go up to heaven, but the word is very near to you. It's mm. in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. That in some sense that that there's actually a movement in, in my own study of looking from this uh, moment of having this profound, external, weighty, difficult thing to carry around yeah. to something that's actually light and nimble and is placed in your heart so yes. that, that it's accomplishable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I don't know. So, that, I mean, that's my own reflection because I, you know, Providence, if you make a mistake and you read the wrong reading, by the way, or like you do the wrong thing or something happens, just allow it to be from God. Like the Lord uses everything that is real. And in, and the more that you're present to the moment that you're in, it's, it becomes real. Absolutely. <laughs> that's definitely true. Yeah. No, it's true. So, so the Lord is trying to tell me that it's, He's, he has something. He has a message for me. Something to say. Yeah, he says, "Dude, it's already in you, brother." Well, it's, it's cool because it also helps put us in, in context. So, yeah. so they're given. So, Deuteronomy is, is kind of telling the story. They're given the law, simple, even though they're they're heavy. Because it's true. I mean, it's just because they're simple doesn't mean they're easy. And that's if there's one lesson that the Old Testament teaches about the Ten Commandments is that they're not easy, even though they're simple. But the point is, they fail at these laws. And and people have given the analogies. You know, the Jewish people saw the giving of the law on Mount Sinai as like the wedding vows of God to his people. He is, he, he, you know, if you read the book of Exodus, the whole story of Exodus is, is a story about God wooing his people. He's trying to win her hearts by what? By doing all these plagues and all these signs and wonders, trying to prove that the gods of Egypt are not real, that he is the only real lover and all these beautiful things. Yeah. So, you know, he, he kind of wins them over. They go out to Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain and the Jewish people saw that as, okay, he, they have, he's won their hearts and now these are the wedding vows being spoken. It's a beautiful image of, mm. of what the law actually is. But if you take that analogy as the wedding vows are being spoken, what is the bride doing down below? Well, they're actually sleeping with another man. Essentially, yeah. Scott Hahn says they're sleeping with a caterer during the wedding, which is kind of an interesting image. I mean, that's what they're doing down yeah. below, which is it's not just that, oh, my gosh, they started worshiping a golden cow. God's super ticked off. That's not what's going on. I mean, God is establishing a marital relationship and they're cheating on him during the wedding which is why this is such a big deal. And it's only after that happens that you get all of the rest of the laws that are heaped on top. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament, and they're only heaped on after the golden calf thing, after the first law, and they're all put in Deuteronomos, plan B, the second law. Why is it plan B? Because God trusted them with one thing they couldn't do. It. And, and that's, as a parent, and well, not even as a parent, but as someone who has been a child, that's kind of the way parenting works, isn't it? You, you want to give your kids a certain amount of freedom and responsibility. You want to trust them. Yeah. But when the trust is broken, what do you do? Well, you actually have to add more rules. I remember my brother used to watch us when I was little. I have an older brother. And <laughs> we did some bad stuff. There was, you know, there Dude, were fists I mean, through walls. Have, and I remember yeah. I hit him in the stomach with a dart once. All, all I know is that there was one point I remember there. <laughs> Shoot. I know. I got stuck right on this gut. Oh. But I remember there being a point where my brother couldn't watch us anymore when my parents went out and all of a sudden <laughs> granddad had to come. And there's more rules that are put on top, right? That's the nature of the Old Testament, right? So these laws aren't just arbitrary. They don't just show up out of nowhere. They're because they failed. And so where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy 30, God has, or, uh, through Moses, we've just basically been shown all of these things. And what God says in Deuteronomy 30, it's that famous passage It says, and it actually shows up right after the reading that we get. It's where God says, I have set before you life and death, and, and I want you to choose life. So if you follow these rules, if you are faithful to them, you will have life and you will be blessed. If you are unfaithful to them and you reject them, then it will bring death and curse, right? Yeah. Um, right before that is where we get our reading now. Because here's the deal. The problem that you get in the whole Old Testament, is still the problem in Jesus' time, is this idea that the law is simply unattainable. We can't do it. It's too hard. And it's so hard that by Jesus' time, the Pharisees have piled on probably hundreds more laws on top of the 613 laws so that nobody can come even close to breaking the real laws because they have to break all the other laws to get over them. So Jesus in the gospel actually never breaks one of the laws of Deuteronomy. He breaks all the Pharisees' laws that are on top of the laws. So so the law is maintained. But, but here's the point. In, in the passage that we get, 
Um, like you said, yeah, the part about it, it's written on your soul, right? Moses said to the people, if only you would heed the voice of the Lord your God. The word for heed, it's the word listen, which is the Hebrew word shamar. And shamar is one of the most important words in the Old Testament yeah, because they're always profound. They're always being told to hear. Um, my son's name is Samuel, which is the Hebrew derivative of shamar el, which means the Lord heard. Remember the story of Samuel? Hannah prays and God hears her prayer. So because God heard, he names him shamar el. And even, we even, prayed for a child, and we were heard, so we named him Samuel. Even though the priest thought she was drunk. She thought she was drunk, but, which is true. Which is, it's a which bummer. Is, Terrible love, spiritual direction. <laughs> and Hannah had <laughs> lousy spiritual direction. But anyway, so if you would hear, if you would shamar the voice of your Lord and keep his commandments and statues that are written in this book of the law, when you return, and that's another really important Hebrew, it's the word shuv, which means to turn. And one of the things that is said more than anything else in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, is this command to shuv, return, turn around. It's where we get the idea of, uh, of uh, metanoia. metanoia, to turn around, right? And it's constantly being asked. So you kind of get this idea built into what Moses is saying, that you're going to blow it. You're basically going to screw up. When you do, get back up and turn around again, right? Because here's, here's your law, with all your heart and your soul. And this is the kicker. For this, I command, for this command I enjoin on you today, it's not too mysterious and too remote for you. It's not up in the sky that you should say, who will go up in the sky to get it uh, and tell it of us that we may carry it out? Nor is it across the sea that you will say, who will cross the sea and get it for us? Nor is it, it no, it is something very near to you, already in your mouths and your hearts you have only to carry it out. So in other words, this is not impossible. This is the law that God has given you. It's close to you. I mean, the original law is intuitive. It's actually built into you. You've been had some restrictions placed on you. You're basically grounded in a certain sense. Yeah. But it's okay. It's not inaccessible. God is actually still there in this law. What he's asking of you is attainable. And that's super important because... Um, oh, it's not. It's not the God. I, I was wondering, actually, if what we were going to get in the second reading today was the passage from Romans, because Paul actually quotes this in Romans chapter 9. Is that right? You remember that? No. So Paul in Romans quotes this. And in speaking, in speaking about Christ, he actually says this. I'm going to read it. Uh, it's, it's chapter 9. Um, <laughs> Romans chapter 9. Chapter 9. No, it's chapter 10, verse 9. No, that's not it either. What the heck, Scott? Editing. Oh, oh, it's Romans chapter 10, verse 6. And he says this. Paul says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? Oh, yeah. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you. It is on your lips and in your heart. That, that is the word of the faith oh, which we preach. This. Because if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that whole passage. And what Paul is doing is mind-blowing because he's recalling this passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy basically asks us to trust God, which is a very important thing that says, yeah. look, the law is within your reach. And if you want somebody to go up to heaven and get it or you know, cross the sea, it's not going to happen because it's already here among you. But people didn't believe that. We couldn't actually grasp it because it was too hard. So what does Paul say? Well, guess what? Do you want somebody to go up to heaven to get it or descend into the abyss to get it across the sea? Guess what? Jesus actually did all those things. He came down from heaven. He descended into the abyss. He walked literally across the sea of Galilee. Remember that? If it seemed inaccessible to you, even though God told you it's not, guess what? Jesus will actually do each and every one of those things to prove it. Dude, and the next line that we have in verse 15 in Deuteronomy goes... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. It says, I have set before you this day life Life and and death, death. good and evil. Holy cow, dude, Paul is a master. (laughs) Even just making that reference, because in the midst of it, he's actually combining them. He says, bring Christ down. 
who will and then and then Christ is brought up. So yeah. he's he's actually through Christ he's setting before them life and death. Exactly. Exactly. That's what he's doing. It's like Isn't boom. that cool? Dude, I love Paul when he man, he's going for it. That's kind of, I, I mean, I really wish I was hoping that the second reading would be that passage from Romans. But yeah. it's not in the wisdom of the church, and that's fine. We have to work for it a little harder, so that's okay. We, we do. And it actually is a good segue into into the response royal psalm, which is Psalm sixty nine. Um, Psalm 69 is basically this long litany of suffering. Um, yeah, dude, it's like Psalm 69 is rough. It's rough. I got introduced to it because uh, I used to like listen to goth music, and there was like a band called Ministry. <laughs> really? And uh, oh, I know Ministry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not well. And they and they have they had a psalm. They they actually sang this in like this like super industrial heavy metal way, and it was. Oh, I don't reach my neck. It was yeah, way more intense than that. But I'm like, super intense. You, <laughs> I actually am a little scared right now inside. <laughs> Rage. No, don't. Okay. Um, what wow. do you, dude? I, I'm continually like the Psalms are so existential that like I, I can pray them out of the emotions, but like some. But and this is actually the funny part. I'm so like American. I'm America. America. I'm America incarnate. You want a hot dog? I do. And a beer. Yep. Sorry. Yes. And um, and so it, it's the thing is is like my temptation is always to intellectualize everything. Oh yeah. And sometimes when you when you experience these psalms, dude, it it actually just takes you down into the depths of what experience is. And and they're actually it's I think part of it is is meant to go and pray with people there. Yes. Totally. It's I, it's not necessarily about your emotional life and like, oh man, cuz sometimes I'm like save me God for the waters have come up to my neck. I am in the mire and there's no foothold. It's yeah. actually going and, and saying, no, I got to be mindful of the people who are there and yeah. I'm going to go and join them like as mm. Christ did for me. Yeah. It's funny. My uh, When I was in high school, when I first kind of came to my, my first like real realization of the faith and, and became yeah. serious about it, I had a buddy um, who was kind of coming to the faith from from nothing really for the first time. And he had gone through some tremendous suffering in his life and he had been really beat up um, in life. And he uh, heard, he told me the story, and, and he was on Pearl Street, it was on the Pearl Street Mall, and there was this guy, this, you know, hippie guy, maybe a homeless guy, singing this song with his guitar, he was a panhandler, and he was singing the song about having a bullet to bite on. All he needed, he had all this suffering in his life, and all he needed was a bullet to bite on, and then he could endure the pain. And my friend kind of remembered that, and it always stuck with him, and then he became a believer, and he read the Bible. Um, I don't know if you read it cover to cover, but he read the Psalms, and he stumbled across Psalm 69. And he said Psalm 69 changed his life because he read about someone who suffered just like he did. And he's like, and I was reading Psalm 69, and it was just this suffering upon suffering. And it changed his life because he realized, well, if somebody else has gone through something like I'm going through. And so he got actually a little bullet that he carved the word Psalm 69 onto, Whoa. and he kept it in his pocket because it was this, that was his bullet to bite on because somebody else has suffered this. And so I can do the same thing, which is – it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful. And that, and that psalm – Dude, that touched my heart. Yeah, it was really, really profound. I've always, I mean, I'll, I'll always remember that. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, what, what is this about? This is all about, I mean, it's written obviously long before, but this is all about what Christ actually did. So this is being foretold. Somebody has suffered this way in the Old Testament is writing about it, but all of these things are the things that Jesus actually suffers in the Passion. And the earliest Christian reading of this psalm has always been, this is an exegesis on the passion of Christ. This is what he's doing. Because if you read consistently, if you read the psalm to the end, it holds out hope that there will be redemption despite all the suffering and the waters reaching the neck and everything else. Yeah. And this is why I hate vinegar, by the way. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> verse 21. Yeah, they, but they, they gave me gall for food, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Which happens to Jesus on the cross. I mean, this is precisely what's going on. I know, and that's and I'm angry about vinegar for the rest of existence. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> is that why? It is actually why. Father Peter hates vinegar and all things that remind him of vinegar, yeah, which is a strange list. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all the turned things. Those Man, things, those things which should be good. But are actually like, cause like, dude, if you think about it, like eggs and lemon, dude, two awesome things. You combine the citrus with the eggs, and all of a sudden it turns into like mayonnaise, mayonnaise and you're like, bah! Oh, or like, man, or like wine, best, dude. Like, I love a glass of wine, man. Give me some like Pinot Noir, man. And but then times is hard <laughs> when that when that Pinot Noir goes into the badlands. I've I've accepted that Christ has redeemed the vinegar, so I. Enjoy it. Oh, because he took it to himself. Took it to himself. As if all sufferings. So I will put it on my French fries because of that. Dude, I ate vinegar yesterday. Do you know that? Did you vomit? No, I liked it. You liked it? Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. Stop the recording. Edit this. No. Edit this. Nope. It's in. Oh, you're stuck. I still like everyone hear that. Oh man, like there's there's on occasion. Actually, I have a desire. The truth is, is I actually want to be over that sensitivity because, because dude, I have a feeling that like on the other land, like I can't eat ketchup or mustard or anything. You man. will in the age to come. Ah, ha- ah. olim haba. Olim haba. <laughs> <laughs> which brings us into Colossians. Colossians. <laughs> which. Which is the Halim, or he is the image of well, the invisible God, man. Yeah, so here's here's the theme of Colossians. This is from the very beginning. This is from the prologue of Colossians. And um, the Church of Colossae um, is who Paul is writing this letter is, to. Isn't like uh, Colossae, isn't it like uh, like these three cities? Like the, It's right next to three cities in this like little valley region that are close. But I, I can't Yeah, it's where the hot springs all are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember. Yeah, th- there's like. I don't know why I remember that, and I don't know why it's significant. There's really refreshing waters in Colossae. Um, yeah, okay, keep going. Though. Okay, so Colossae, the, 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 the thesis of Colossians. Colossians is dealing, the, the problem in Colossae is this, this um, kind of proto-Gnosticism, right? This idea of Gnosticism that, that uh, Christ didn't, well, you know, what is all Gnosticism is, is basically this denial of the physical, right? The physical world is bad, vinegar is bad, mayonnaise is bad, and only the spiritual, I'm seeing if you're listening, you're pretty deep in your book. Um, but the physical world is bad, the spiritual world is good. So there were teachers teaching people to, you know, deny their physicality, not have, not make love to their spouses, all sorts of things, because the physical world is bad, only the spiritual. This is this is Hinduism, right? And sort of Buddhism to some degree. We have to transcend the physical so that we can reach, you know, the nirvana, which is beyond the physical, which has never been a Christian understanding. Yeah. We understand fundamentally that Christ has redeemed matter and spirit, the whole. So what, what he's doing here is he's showing basically two things. Everything in Colossians is twofold. That Christ has redeemed matter and spirit. It's all both and. And so what he's, what he's setting up in the first part is that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And then he's going to go on to say essentially that he is the firstborn of the new creation as well. So why is he the firstborn of creation? Remember, he is the word through whom God created everything, the ha- old order. Ha-olim haba. Ha-olim haba. But he's also the firstborn from the dead. So he's the first of the new creation. So essentially, how do you tie this into the Old Testament reading? Well, the Old Testament reading is, is about the old law, which is fundamentally good, but is pointing ahead to an even better law. And basically, Colossians is saying, guess what? Christ is Lord of both of them. He is the Lord of the Old Testament. 
Jesus himself, even though he doesn't show up in the Old Testament explicitly, he is the Lord of the old. He is also the Lord of the new because he is the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn of the new creation. He is all of it. He is alpha and omega. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's that's the idea, though. Yeah. Which is cool. It's really cool. It's a cool book. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I say that about all the books in the New Testament. My students always yelled at me for that. Dude, I was- This I- is my favorite. I was talking to uh, Nelly, and she uh, she is in a, a sorority, the Alpha Chi Omega, which if you, really yeah, isn't that isn't that a great isn't that a great um, it's not a Christian sorority. No, but I mean like Alpha Omega with the Chi in the middle. Well, like, isn't there a Christian fraternity? What what is the Christian fraternity? I don't know. AGO Alpha Gamma, Gamma Omega, right? Yeah. Anyway. I don't know, but I just thought that as far as like That's Greek, cool. Greek That's letters, really cool. Alpha Chi Omega. I mean, like now we're talking, dude. It's like chiastic. It's Seriously. Alpha Omega. It's like Christ like the is the center the middle, of the beginning, and like the beginning cool. and the end, and like the firstborn of the old, the firstborn of the new. With and the cross right in the middle. Uh, yeah, with every, the Chi right in the middle. Everything is in is through him and with wow, him. Wow, that's in cool. Him. And like, dude, that's that's actually a really great way to understand the Colossians and and this reading. Yeah, because this is um this is actually um one of the canticles uh, that we is it? that we pray all the time. So this is actually a psalm. I mean, a song. A song. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, it's like it's called the Colossian hymn, and scholars call it that because it was probably actually sung in the early churches. They probably actually took this passage and used it for like their opening hymn at mass. Dude, I I could sing it for you right now. Would you? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This is in in, in in antique mode. He is the image in the invisible God. Nice. That, that that was a cheesy tune, man. Where it did that come from, bad. man? I'm sorry. The church I, didn't give you that. I I can't do it for it's you. It's pretty bad. We don't. That reminded me, we didn't have any shoutouts this week. Oh, nobody nobody sent us any emails this dude, week. Dude, I have some antique shoutouts. Antique? Yeah, like there was uh, there was um. One. Oh, some old. <laughs> Some old ones that I that I haven't that I I even I even put it into my like people. Why didn't you email us this week, or send us anything on Facebook? What are you all on vacation? Dude. Unbelievable. Oh man. Oh shoot. Uh, there's a guy Gus, and Gus, Gus has been. Oh like, yeah, Gus. Gus has been like super Gus is faithful. A faithful listener. Yeah, like Gus. So we love you, brother. We love you, Gus. And uh, and dude, here's a shout out. You're like you're like with us. Man. Have we not shouted out to Gus before? I don't. Maybe because I have meant to. If I didn't, sorry, Gus. I know because like he he keeps on being like. Hey, I'm with you. I'm he with does. you. I'm with you. So, Gus, we're with you. Here's to you, Gus. Word. Keep it real, man. On the hill. On the hill. Um. All right. Back to business. Back to back to the. So uh, let's 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 jump to the gospel. What do you what do you say? <sighs> Dude, the good the good <laughs> Samaritan is. Uh, I mean. Okay, you you have you have your finger up. Before we do to the good Samaritan, we have to we have to get somewhere first. Because the the what he says before the Good Samaritan is, is key, and it ties. That's what that's where our tie-in point is to the first reading. Okay, keep keep keep, keep me live, man, because so, I because I was focusing my energy without. I want context. you to talk about that, but okay. we got we got to get the context. So he says there was this. There, this is uh, Luke chapter ten. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus, and he said, "Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus said, "Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." And he said to him, "You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live." And then, without warning, it kind of just jumps from there to the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think the temptation is to read right over what he says first, which is which is actually where I was going to go well, because it's weird. But what's he doing? Remember, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. There was a tradition in ancient Judaism in Jesus' time that every good rabbi had what was called his yoke. Did we talk about the yoke before? No. So the yoke, here's the idea. The law is long. There's 613 laws. I I have lots of yokes. Don't turn them into mayonnaise, though, or you'll be very unhappy. I know. Lemon. Okay. So there's 613 laws. 
So um, basically every good rabbi would have the yoke and their yoke, Y-O-K-E, like how you'd think of it, is uh, basically their one sentence summary statement of what, how do you summarize all of these laws? And that summary statement would be the yoke. So there was this great story about, I think, it, I want to say it was Rabbi Hillel, but I don't think that, I don't know if that's right. It was, it was a rabbi, a contemporary of Jesus. And as the story goes, this group of Gentiles came up to this rabbi and they said, Rabbi, we will become Jewish if you can recite the entire law while standing on one foot. And so the rabbi raised his foot and he says, um, love the, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All the rest is just commentary. And he put his foot down. And that's the idea, that every rabbi had his summary statement. Jesus does this a couple of times. Love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Remember that? Yeah, which this guy actually knows. He gets it. Yeah, because like, he actually has heard He might be this. quoting Jesus' yoke. Yeah, because Jesus is preaching. I mean, he said that before, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I know. Yeah. So... Why is that important, though? Because it needs we need to get tied back into the Old Testament law. That's what the first reading is all about, is this law that God gives that is not far off, that is attainable, that is reachable, that is, that is digestible, right? Yeah. This is why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh. It's not just the, the stuff that I have to have you do. My reading of God's law that I'm going to articulate to you is easy and not burdensome. It is light and it's doable. It's, it's already why? on your heart right. and on your lips. Because, why, though? As Paul says, because I've already come from heaven and gone down into the depths and crossed the sea to give it to you. That's why his yoke is. So it's kind oh. of a beautiful image. Man, you just are blowing my heart open, man. But it's in that context, I think, wow. that we have to read the Good Samaritan. Because now he's saying, okay, what does this mean to you? Well, here you go. So, Father, take it away. Well, this, the, the, I mean, this is interesting because this man desiring to justify himself. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, dude, the, the motivations of his heart are immediately exposed. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing is that um, um, he understands what Jesus is. He understands Jesus's yoke. Yeah. And he responds because he wants to, uh, he wants to do something for himself. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, 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 yeah. He he wants he wants something for himself. He's actually looking, and he has a real question, uh -huh. and he says, "But who is my neighbor?" And one of the things that happens with the parable of of the Good Samaritan is that we have this kind of moralistic. Um, uh, overarching response immediately. It says, yeah. "You know what? I better stop my car and help the dude on the side of the road." Right. You know what I mean? I think it's almost where side of the road um, um, uh, uh, panhandling comes from. Oh. Is is this kind of intrinsic Christian response to wanting to have oh, sure, help sure, the one sure, who's, sure. I gotcha. who's fallen victim and is yeah. on the side of the road and you want to give the two coins to be able to help. It's like right. it's like intrinsic to our Christian mentality. Right. Um, but what what Jesus is doing is he's actually he uh, though it, though it is it does have a moral to it. He's actually doing something because the justification is saying, who is my neighbor? And and so Jesus lays out three very specific things. He has a Levi, a priest, and a good Samaritan. And so he's actually, he's redefining the boundaries of what is, who the covenant people are supposed to be. Right. Right. I'm, yeah. Keep going on that. that that's good. I mean. I'll, Talk to me. I'm just thinking to myself as as we're reading this and as you're saying this and as you went through those three groups, we can't read this without without an insight into the law. Because think about this. What what's going on here? Here's this guy who is beat up 
um, a priest happens to go past the road. Let's put the priest and the yeah. Levite together. Yeah, because Why don't they want to deal with this guy? Rich, ritual impurity, because they're they're actually ah. trying to they're trying to follow these six hundred and thirteen. So they're not just stuck up. They're no. not just like, oh, well, this guy's a man. I don't know. I can deal with him. They, by law, cannot touch him. Because if they touch him, they're going to get blood. They're going to be ritually impure. And they will not be justified, so to speak, as priests. Yes. So they're they're avoiding him. Their, their avoidance of him is actually their reading of, of the law. And it's a correct reading. It's actually true. Yes, but it but it misses the heart of it. Right. It, and and right. it, it, be, it becomes a boundary right. rather than an right. entry point. And that's actually where it becomes distorted and, and right. where we're seeing the, the maturation of Israel taking place. And that's what Jesus right. is saying is we're moving into a ha'olim haba, a new era, a the, new new, era. the new age, yeah. where, um, where those, which is what, what's going to actually allow us to engage um, and 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 have the boundaries go so that we're not just um, we're not just bound by something that that seems obscure. We got to be a little bit careful though. With Very this, careful because the law is the law, and I mean we we can't just presume it's a parable, but you can't just presume on this priest and this Levite like oh well you should have known that there was a more important law and that it's you know what I mean it's a little bit tricky when you're in the middle of it. I mean they have the law as they understand it. The law is given by God Himself. God Himself said. If you touch blood, essentially, you are ritually impure. So what do you do with that? I mean, this is, and this is where you have to read this in a certain, in a certain sense. I'm just, I'm struggling with this a little bit because you have to read this as a law for all times and all places in a certain sense. So you have this priest, and this Levite who are avoiding this guy because the law said, well, what does the law say? Why, why are they misreading the law? The law says, if you touch this guy, you are ritually impure. Yeah. Um, which means you, you, you die to yourself in a certain sense. And if that's true, you actually have to go to the temple. You have to find another priest. You have to go through the process of becoming pure again. You have to be, in a certain sense, resurrected from that. I mean, could it be that even in the old law, what these guys are being called to do is risk their ritual impurity? This doesn't change their moral stance, but they were supposed to become ritually impure. I mean, this is a guy in need. They're not just supposed to forget, oh, the law doesn't matter anymore. No, the law matters. Mm. But the law says if you do this, you're, in a sense, dying to yourself. Which is which is actually going back to Shamar Adam's yeah. Shamar. Yeah, he's he's meant to guard, and mm. and when he faces off against the ancient dragon, he the brother may have had to die. Right. We, I think he did. I think he was called to die for his bride. For his bride. Because we see Christ actually fulfilling dying for his bride. Right. And but, so 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 maybe what we're seeing is this pattern. I think it's huge because we can't, it's too easy to just be like, look, they were just too caught up in the law. They should have ignored the law. No, they shouldn't have ignored the law. It's God's law. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't just write off the old. This is what Luther did. This was Luther's mistake. Is to pit the new against the old and say, look, that old one was bad and it was, you know, we should forget about that. No. But could it be they were meant to actually undergo ritual impurity, to die to them, to, ha- to have to suffer? To touch mm. blood would be to for them to suffer greatly. Could it be that they were actually called to suffer? Mm. Because why? Jesus, This is what Jesus actually goes up into heaven, down to the depths, crosses the sea to show us that, look, what it means to actually love and to keep the law is to suffer unto death and rebirth. Well, and this is the thing is that, uh, so they were actually meant and, and intended or they were the request was are they going to take to themselves the suffering of another right and literally because literally. they would have actually taken it on what is a samaritan ah the samaritans is that a, is that a rhetorical question <laughs> yeah, or do you know the answer i know the answer but i'm i'm going socratic because... yeah so we talked about this so remember when the when the tro- when when israel split in half 
when the ten tribes went north and founded their own kingdom and their own priests and everything else. Um, the rem after they were they were then hauled off by Assyria. They were defeated in these great battles. The remnant, the people who were left after they abandoned Jerusalem, after they were taken over by the Assyrians, what was left over was known as the Samaritans. Yep. So by Jesus' time, they're not just the people over there across the tracks. They were the family members who rejected Jerusalem, who rejected the temple, who rejected God, who didn't stand up for the their fellow brethren in, in Jerusalem during battle. Who really, I mean, these were hardcore brothers and sisters who rejected them and were enemies. That's and, who the Samaritans are. And they intermingled with the nations. Right. So right, they the five en- nations. They ended up mugbloods. Which is which What is, does that mean? That's a Harry Potter term. See, I don't for know. for muggles and wizards when they get together they end oh. up mugbloods. So there you go. this is the thing is that is <laughs> that is that actually so so the one who is of two natures yeah. Ooh. Ooh. goes and takes the suffering of one who is wounded by the side of the road. Whoa. And so what we see is is that the primary reality of the Good Samaritan is not us. Wow. It's Christ. Christ wow. is the one who takes the suffering and the blood to himself, wow. who becomes ritually impure, yes. who by his two natures goes and then provides for the security, takes mm. them to the inn, and yes. provides for what they need and, and ensures the church so that those who are fallen by the wayside, he's still taking to them to this day. The one who is wounded by sin, yeah. fallen by the wayside, whereas, whereas, so if, so if we actually zoom out a little bit, what we're seeing is, is does, the pre, does the sacrificial system of the temple work? It doesn't. I mean, it, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. the long run, can it be, I mean, Paul is like, can this, this purify your conscience and right. put you into right relationship with sanctifying grace? It, it ultimately can't. It, it cannot. It, it can render you ritually pure again. Right. But it, well, but it can't, but it can't go to the depths and wash you clean. Paul articulates the difference here: is is that the old law could tell you what was right and wrong, yeah, but it didn't actually empower you to do what is right and prevent you from doing wrong. The new uh, law actually gives you the grace. I was, I've actually been telling the kids up at camp this. I mean, I give the stop sign analogy. Yes. If you see a stop sign, a stop sign on the road, there's nothing about that stop sign that actually makes you stop. It can tell you to stop, but it can't actually make you do it. Yeah. The grace of the sacraments is like an arm coming out of the stop sign and help pushing you, put, it, that helps push your foot down on the brake pedal and actually assists you in doing what it is asking of you. That's Does that a, make sense? Yeah, that's a that's freaky, the fundamental difference. It's a freaky image, though, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, what is the Old Testament law all about? The the heart of the Old Testament law is holiness. It's called the holiness code. That's what it means. It's about how to be holy. So what Jesus has done, I'm stealing this from my old friend, our, our old friend Tim Gray, and he says what Jesus has fundamentally done in this in this parable is redefine holiness as mercy. So he hasn't changed the nature of the law. He's just changed what it means to be holy. What it means to be holy is to give, is to show mercy. And that's why he says, go and do likewise. Dude, that's awesome. Which is cool. and, and he leads the way. And he leads the way. And, 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 and by his leading of the way, that's where we have the Ha'olim Haba. Ha'olim Abba. The new age. The new age, which he has ushered in. I mean, the Jews were, way, the nature of Judaism at the time was, the idea was there were two ages that God created. There's the old age, and there was what they were all hoping would happen. So there's the old age ushered in by Adam, that there's an age of sin and death and chaos and corruption. Mm-hmm. But they believed that someday God would step into human history and set things right. And they spoke about that as Ha'olim Abba, right? The age to come when God would fix things. 
And uh, what Jesus has done is, well, here, what, what few people were expecting was what Jesus actually did. Everyone was expecting that God would someday step in and just fix everything. All the bad guys would go one way, all the good guys would go to glory, and everything would be fine. But what Jesus does is something different. The moment he steps out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, he ushers in the, the age to come. But it's this Catholic concept of the already but not yet age. Christ has already fulfilled this. He's already set the world right. It just doesn't look like it yet. And so we're still going to have people beat up on the side of the road that we actually have to deal with. Even though he set the world right, it still is going to be messy until the day that he comes again to culminate that. So we're living in the age to come. We are in the midst of it, but it just doesn't feel like it yet. Yeah. Take that. Wow. Well, if you're driving in your car, we hope that you don't get a flat on the side of the road unless it allows you to meet Jesus. Or beat up by bandits. Yeah, that, both of those things are, are hard, but unless you meet Jesus through them. And so maybe you are getting beat up and maybe you heard things are bad or happening, but I'll tell you what, that's where the Lord is wanting to come in and draw some mercy. And so Amen. We love you. Thank you for listening to us. Send us an email. Link you guys at thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Um, give a shout out. to Shout out. Shout us shout us out out <laughs> we'll be back next week and we will see you then peace bye the word on the hill is a production of the aquinas institute for catholic thought here in beautiful boulder colorado www.thomascenter.org you can also send us an email at lankyguys@thomascenter.org. see you next week